0: What to Know podcast explores best practices, innovation, and latest trends with industry experts with an eye toward helping you, the listener, stay ahead of the ever-changing marketing and communications landscape. Good afternoon. This is Aaron Strout of W2O Group, the host of the What to Know podcast, and we are in Austin, Texas, here at South by Southwest Interactive. Uh, day one of our programming, and one of the guests who just spoke on a pretty cool panel called Countering Hate with our own Bob Pearson and Haroon Ula and uh, Victoria uh, Romero, all incredibly smart people. Um, Fred is the chief security officer of a company called Stratfor, and he has got a very impressive background, which we'll talk about. So first of all, welcome, Fred. Thank you for having me, Aaron. It's a pleasure. And then I have to say, I'm not nervous per se, but you just mentioned something very cool, which is you do your own podcast show And so I always feel like, okay, now I'm a little bit more under the light doing this podcast (laughs) show with someone that's also doing podcasts. So it's, it's both a uh, fun exercise. And at the same time, I'm a little more conscientious of how I do it and, and uh, what we talk about.
1: I'm sorry I said that
0: then. No, you shouldn't be at all. Um, It just adds another layer of, uh, of, of, um, interestingness to the conversation so let's talk a little bit about your background. You are um, one of the world's foremost authorities on security and terrorism. Uh, you've been involved in sort of a number of high-profile investigations. So the search for Ramzi Youssef, who was the mastermind of the First World Trade Center bombing, assassination of Israeli Prime Minister um, Yitzhak Rabin. Yitzhak Rabin, sorry. I, I At one point in time, I was much better at saying that. Um, Rabbi Mir uh, Kahane and uh, Al-Qaeda's New York City bombing plots before 9-11, many others. How did you get into this field, and what led you to you know, your current role at Stratford today?
1: Oh, my goodness, Aaron. I, I've thought long and hard about that. Uh, I, I don't know how I got in this business, and I'm not so sure I would do it again, uh, although it's given me a, a wonderful career and some of the things that I've been able to do and see and, and be involved in from a historical perspective. But uh, I'm the son of a West Virginia coal miner. Uh, my dad uh, was of World War II generation, and I grew up in a coal camp and uh, settled in the Washington, D.C. area where I grew up. And uh, I started uh, a career in public safety as a 17-year-old volunteer at the Bethesda Chevy Chase Rescue Squad. I got to give them a shout out. Uh, because uh, I'm very proud of them kind of launching me along that path. Uh, Then I became a local police officer in in Montgomery County, Maryland, Uh, and then I went to work for the uh, State Department as a special agent uh, during the heyday of the early 80s when uh, we had hijackings all over the world, uh, embassies lying in rubble, and uh, right out of basic agent training, uh, I was assigned to uh, what was then called the counterterrorism branch. And basically, we had three agents for the world. And because I was the uh, the youngest of the three, uh, my boss um, uh, assigned me to the Middle East. And so uh, the bulk of my career was focused on um, any kind of act of terrorism that that took place in the Middle East. and And Just subsequently grew and I I ended up working my way up the chain of command and became the deputy chief of the State Department's counterterrorism division
0: It's fascinating and as interesting journey coming from a coal mine being the son of a coal miner Um, I spent a couple years in DC as well. So always will have a soft spot there You've written a few books as well Uh, One of which was a best-selling memoir ghost confessions of a counterterrorism agent and that came out in 2008 You've written two others I'm always intrigued. I wrote a book myself. It was a dummies book, but it was a lot of work. And you've not only done that once, but you've done it three times. Haroon has written several books. Uh, Bob has written several books. Like, What was it that said to you, I have to write a book one day? And then not only were you, I don't want to say stupid enough, but it is a it is <laughs> a labor of love to do it once, but you actually were able to dig down and, and do it two more times.
1: It's uh, It, it kind of takes a life of its own. Uh, I uh, never thought that... Uh, I would write a book, but I was approached by a literary agent. There had been other books written about uh, my government exploits, so to speak, uh, uh, where uh, I was involved in whether or not, for example, the capture of Ramzi Yosef, uh, the mastermind of the first World Trade Center bombing. And and so a literary agent says, uh, you know, I think you got a story to tell. And I said, I'm not so sure about that. But uh, so my first book uh, was published by Random House. And I was fortunate enough to be on The Daily Show with Jon Stewart, and uh, from a marketing perspective, uh, those kinds of uh, exposures help you sell a lot of books, and so uh, it kind of took a life of its own, and then my last book was on Benghazi, which was very topical. Uh, I felt uh, uh, having been in similar situations, not as uh, volatile in the past as a special agent. I felt sorry for the uh, five young State Department agents that were there. So I wanted to tell their story. And, and that book was a New York Times and Los Angeles Times bestseller. And uh, HBO Films uh, bought that. So um, my next book is uh, coming out this year with Random House, which will be my fourth. And uh, it's a true spy story.
0: That's awesome. And so this last one is fictional. Was that what you're saying?
1: No, no. My uh, next book is actually a true spy story ah. on a uh, case that I worked uh, back in the 80s. And uh, it's a story that hasn't been told, and uh, that should be out in October.
0: Well, I'll have to pick that up. So you did a panel today about countering hate with Harunullah, who has worked for the State Department. Um Bob, who works for the, i blanking on the college, but I'm, I need to look at this right here because I know he works uh, at the college with um, Victoria uh, uh, Romero, who I interviewed yesterday, Dr. Victoria, and um, and then her, and, and she was talking, as we talked last night, we did an interview about applying neuroscience and data science to really understanding this cognitive psychology behind the recruitment of the... Um, you know, the the extremism that happens. Talk a little bit about what your role is in your investigation and what tools do you use and, you know, how is it that you solve these very complex, very hard-to-solve, you know, crimes and really crimes against humanity.
1: Aaron, from a simplistic level, I try to break it down into two aspects. Uh, Most terrorism, most acts of terrorism uh, are successful predicated on two points the lack of human intelligence and a failure of tactical analysis, meaning that, uh, for example, we're experiencing a series of bombings here in Austin, Texas at the time of this podcast being done, and clearly, uh, law enforcement does not have a human asset to tell you uh, who did it. Uh, Now, perhaps that person will come forward at some point in time, but uh, did not come forward in enough time to be able to interdict and preempt these bombs from going off. So on a simplistic level, that's what it takes to stop an act of terrorism. And I don't care if you're talking about the events of 9-11. Or uh, an example that I can use is uh, I paid an informant uh, over a million dollars to lead me to the whereabouts of Ramsey Yosef, the mastermind of the first World Trade Center bombing, And uh, without him coming forward and without me paying him, uh, we never would have captured uh, at that time this FBI top 10 fugitive. So sometimes uh, uh, these things do break down to simplistic kinds of solutions. So you need more human intelligence. But that in itself is very difficult to do.
0: Well, that's a a great answer. And by the way, I did look it up. And so it was the U.S. Marketing Communications College, which I know Bob and uh, Dr. Victoria Romero and Haroon all belong to. So I apologize for that, but I wanted to to, uh, insert that. I guess let's talk a little bit about um, what you do at Stratfor, because I'm guessing, I was not familiar with it last year. You had Areva, um Gabor, who came and spoke actually on a panel with Haroon. And so I get to know you through that, and I know Bob is a big fan. But talk about what Stratfor does and you know what you do as the chief security officer there. Uh,
1: at Stratfor, which stands for strategic forecasting, uh, we're an Austin-based uh, geopolitical analysis company. We've been here for... 20 years. Uh, We have an extraordinarily large uh, following that uh, subscribes as a subscription service to our website for uh, unbiased analysis. Uh, uh, We're not journalists per se, we're uh, analysts that try to make sense of the world. So we'll cover topics such as terrorism, geopolitics, uh, uh, great thinking when it comes to uh, China and Russia and try to predict the future of the world. And uh, we also uh, provide uh, uh, custom analysis for uh, multinational corporations looking to do business expansion in places that are difficult to operate in. Uh, so we have an extraordinarily loyal following uh, in uh, the intelligence community of not only the United States, but also several friendly uh, intelligence and military services around the world. So uh, we're one of these typical kind of Austin companies that uh, you would not know that we're here. And why are you here? And not inside the Beltway? Uh, but there's a specific reason for that. We feel that a lot of the um, thinking is alike inside the Beltway. Therefore, um, much by South, much like South by being in Austin, Texas, uh, we're here. Uh, because we want to be outside of that groupthink kind of umbrella.
0: Well, Texas certainly has a history of being that Lone Star State and, and forging its own path. So that totally makes sense. And I spent six years here as well, so I know a little bit about the culture. Uh, I do want to drill into your podcast a bit because you, um, you did intrigue me with that and the fact that you said you get to meet and learn from a lot of interesting guests. I feel exactly the same way. What was the impetus? Maybe what's the name of it? So if people want to download it and listen to it, I would love to start to listen to it. And you had talked about engaging content that a lot of people rave about, how great it is, and so the people that do know you and discover you get hooked and know that every once a week or how often you put it out that they can listen to some more goodness from you and Stratfor.
1: Well, thank you. Uh, You're very kind to mention that. Uh, Well, our website is www.stratfor.com, and uh, I have a podcast series that... uh, uh, are, is called Lessons from the Old Case Files. And what I do there is I write analysis and looking back on some of the uh, cases that I might have worked on and try to put it in perspective. Like this week I talked about uh, the use of the diplomatic pouch and how hostile intelligence services like Libya uh, and Iraq use those to uh, courier explosives and weapons uh, and fraudulent ID into different countries for the purposes of carrying out acts of terror and in my podcast series what I try to do is I also focus on uh, authors that uh, interest me that I think have written uh, fascinating books for example uh, I recently interviewed Brad Thor uh, he's a tremendous um, uh, action thriller writer uh, He's sold uh, 15 million books and uh, he he studies uh, real intelligence operations and fictionalizes them, uh, and it's just a good read. And and he's a good guy. Uh, I enjoyed my conversation with him, like most of my other authors. Uh, I also uh, interviewed uh, Dr. Ronan Bergman last week. His book uh, this week's on the New York Times bestseller list. It's called uh, Rise and Kill First. It's the story of uh, the Israeli Mossad's. Uh, secret intelligence program of, of targeted assassinations around the globe. And then I read a fascinating book on uh, the kidnapping of uh, Adolf Kors. Uh, this happened in 1960, uh, the Kors heir. He was actually CEO of uh, Kors when he was abducted. And uh, it was one of the best reads uh, uh, that I've had in a long time on just Uh, how someone goes about putting together uh, the TikTok of a kidnapping. And uh, it was the most prominent kidnapping in the United States uh, since the Lindbergh baby. Uh, And so I try to look at those kinds of stories and and interview authors. And uh, it's always fascinating to me as to how uh, people uh, decide to do stories and, and why pick certain topics and so forth. So
0: well, it makes me feel like my podcast is not that interesting after hearing how fascinating that is, but um, I will have to take a listen. So thank you for sharing that with the audience. And it does sound like you maybe answered one of my questions already about books, unless you want to add another book, because you just shared some really good books that um, I'm assuming that you read or at least dug into. Um, I did want to ask a question about you know what's something that For probably one of the more private guys out there, you've needed to be very private in the job that you do, but what's something that uh, people don't know about you that you'd be willing to share?
1: Well, I think people that uh, have read all of my stories uh, will quickly figure out that I'm um, probably like dogs more than people, uh, specifically uh, old Labrador retrievers. So I always try to work... uh, uh, one of my labs into one of my stories in some capacity. So, uh, uh, those, uh, some folks have figured that out and have asked me about my, my dogs at times, but, uh, others may not know that until they listen to this uh, podcast.
0: Well, that's cool. And I'm guessing you're probably not a big social media person, right? At least not personally.
1: Well, I am actually, uh, it even amazes, uh, uh, our, our folks in the office. I have, uh, uh, a good number of Twitter followers you know uh, in the thousands and uh, I'm at uh, Fred underscore Burton on Twitter so um, uh, I'm usually uh, uh, tweeting out uh, several comments about world events every day so I uh, certainly appreciate anybody that wants to follow me love to hear from folks
0: well good I will be one of those followers I just assumed which I shouldn't have shame on me because of you know the the line of work you've done that you would be the last person that would be using social media so i will absolutely follow you on twitter uh i am really fascinated to hear the answer to this i'm i'm curious to hear the answer to this last question uh it's about music and it's the theoretical you're stranded on a deserted island you can only take one album with you which album would you pick and why Uh, Well, I allude
1: to that in my first book, my memoir, Ghost, uh, and that would certainly be Bruce Springsteen's Born to Run because uh, uh, I grew up in the 70s and uh, grew up listening to Bruce Springsteen uh, before he was on the cover of Time magazine. And uh, I can remember seeing him at Lisner Auditorium in Washington, D.C. before the album Born to Run came out, Uh, and uh, I knew he was special. And then, of course, once uh, that album came out and he was on the cover of Time and Newsweek, uh, you had to go to these huge mega events. So uh, that's probably the one album that I would uh, uh, take with me. If I've heard that album once, I've probably heard it uh, 10,000 times.
0: So I'll tell you a funny thing that will be less relevant to all of the people listening until they hear all of these podcasts. But you are the third person in a row. So I just interviewed Otto Bell. And before that, I he's the uh, chief creative officer of CNN's Courageous. And before that, uh, Joelle Kaufman, who's the CMO of Dynamic Signal. And Bruce Springsteen came up in all three of those. For hers, it was something that people don't know about you. She was at a concert. He pulled her up on stage and danced with her. Wow. Uh, Otto, that was one of his two. He ultimately then went with Van Morrison. So you went with Bruce Springsteen. And I've done interviews with probably, I don't know, 60 people now that I've asked this question to, and you are the first one to uh, actually pick as your first choice, Bruce Springsteen. So a little bit of a surprise that it took that long, but at episode 60, we're finally <laughs> giving the uh, Mr. Springsteen a little bit of love.
1: Well, we should uh, forward this to him and, and ask him to uh, to
0: tweet it out for us. I think that's only right. And I will tell you just one more sidebar. So I'm from Boston originally, and I was never... a huge Bruce Springsteen fan, but I am a big Red Sox fan. And a friend of mine, Todd Taplin, who was at Yahoo at the time, got me tickets and actually said, these are really great tickets. And they were, they were 13 rows back from the centerfield bleachers, which is where they had the stage set up. And uh, I watched that. And after that, I said, you know what, I have a whole new appreciation for him. So maybe we will tweet these out to him and say, hey, Bruce, you've gotten all sorts of love. Uh, it's time to make sure you tweet this. So. Anyway, um, Fred, I really appreciate your time. This is Aaron Strout, CMO of W2O Group, host of the What to Know podcast. I'm here with Fred Burton, who is not only the chief security officer of strat 4 also a podcast host, a multi-time book author. Looking forward to seeing your new book when it comes out. Thank you for joining us, Fred.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: Want more episodes of What to Know? We post a new episode every Thursday. Subscribe on iTunes, the podcast app, the Stitcher app, or Spotify, and view the podcast page at wtwoilgroup.com/what-to-know.